0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Today in Titletown Packers podcast. Uh, Another week, another Packers win over the Seattle Seahawks last Sunday. We're going to be talking about that. We're going to be previewing this Sunday's NFC Championship game against the San Francisco 49ers. I'm here with my co-host, Braun, as always. Braun, uh, how you doing?
1: You know, great Packers victory against the Seattle Seahawks in in the NFC Divisional Round. Uh, We've got a huge game coming up against the 49ers in the NFC Championship game, so... And I think I speak for all Packers fans when I say we're pretty ecstatic heading into this Sunday.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely with you there. And to think of the Packers as one of the final four teams remaining in the NFL, just one win away from the Super Bowl. That's just incredible, especially as a Packers fan dealing with the past two seasons. It's just incredible. And uh, we're going to open with some news. And I guess our first piece of news is that there is no news because the Packers are completely healthy. All 52 players on the roster were practicing today which is exactly what you want going into a game of this magnitude, and you can say the same for the 49ers. They're almost completely healthy as well, so it's strength versus strength. The two remaining teams in the NFC fighting for a spot in the big one. Uh, There's no excuses. There should be no excuses. It's just strength versus strength, and that's what you want in a game like this.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, you look up and down the Packers roster, and uh, the only questionable player is uh, is Danny Vitale, the fullback. Uh, one person that we're looking at who's not currently on the roster, but uh, we'd like to bring him up is Raven Green, uh, who was obviously out for uh, most of the season and uh, went on IR, and we designated him to return. He couldn't make it for the Seattle game, uh, but we're looking to bring him back for this week's game, and, and we've left that spot open, uh, 52 out of 53 right now, and we're leaving that spot open for him, so... Uh, hopefully we can get him back because you know we'll get into why he's going to be a big factor for this Sunday's game. But uh, so on the in- on the injury front, the Packers are doing well, and and same goes for the San Francisco Forty ers The bye week did both teams wonders. Uh, you know the Packers had to deal with a bit of an illness bug, but uh, they've gotten over it. It seems like, including some of the players that were suffering from it. So uh, things are looking up right now for both teams on on the injury front, and and it looks like we're going to get the two best versions of those teams uh, on Sunday.
0: Yeah, and Brian Belaga kind of implied that it was just a 24-hour kind of bug. And uh, he was one of the players who who got bit by this illness bug, and it was actually late Saturday afternoon. He was reported as questionable for that Sunday's game, and he was actually active for the game, but on the first series, Jared Veldier was in the game. Brian Belaga tried to go. He couldn't, and Veldier played the rest of the game, and he played well, actually. Didn't give up a single sack or hit or hurry I don't think in pass protection Uh, a little shaky on run blocking sometimes but what more can you ask for from your backup right tackle than to keep your quarterback clean all game
1: yeah he really did a phenomenal job in there and you know uh, having having to come in and start basically out of the blue uh, after Brian Bulaga comes down with this illness and uh, that's just a big uh, it's just a big player uh, that you can plug in and just let him go to do work and, and that's so valuable to have a guy that just you can bring in late in the season, a veteran with, you know, 100 starts in his career. Uh, it's just really it's really a phenomenal job. You, you can't credit enough Brian Gutekinds and his staff and, and you can't credit the player, Jared Valdir, for not only staying in shape, but being able to come in, learn this offense right away and contribute at a very high level.
0: Seriously, credit to Brian Gutekinds. Where do, where does he find these people? Tyler Irvin, Jared Valdir, he's been trying out a bunch of CFL players the past few weeks. He is like searching the earth for talented football players, and he's been finding them to his credit. Tyler Irvin and Jared Valdiers have helped this team immensely, especially last week. Last week they were two of the X-Factors, unsung heroes of last week's win. And that's all credit to Brian Goodigans. I don't know how many GMs of contending football teams like this can search for athletic, talented unknown players like he can think about all the undrafted free agents we found the past two years it's just really incredible on his part
1: yeah and and that that really goes back to his I think it really it goes mostly back to what he did as a scout I mean he was with us for 20 years as a scout and uh, just he was just phenomenal at that obviously and and he was able to really translate that uh, you know the skills he learned over the course of his career with the Packers uh, at that lower level He was able to use those skills in in finding guys like Zadarius Smith and for guys he had highly touted, like Zadarius Smith, like Preston Smith coming out of the draft back when they declared. So uh, it's just uh, it's just an attribute to him and and his staff for finding guys like that. Really, not only just the the lower level guys that we talked about, but some of these guys that are contributing for us in a big way at this moment, Uh, these guys that haven't played great maybe in their careers uh, and are kind of breaking out here. Uh, for the Green Bay Packers in these playoffs. So uh, just you can't say enough about what he's done for us there in, in that aspect. And, and these players, you know, they're like Aaron Rodgers said today, the, those, those guys are like the glue guys that, that have kind of just brought this team together and, and just put, him, put them where we need to be and just sealed up every spot that we have. And it's made us a very complete team, very balanced team, and, and things are looking up.
0: That's clearly a priority of Gutekunstiv. Just like, it's just really amazing how he can find players who, are, who aren't superstars yet, but he sees the potential. And usually he's right. So far, he's been right most of the time. I mean, who's the biggest free agent signing who was actually like a big name for other teams? Like Adrian Amos, he was one of the top safeties on the market. But Zadarius and Preston weren't really Preston more so, but Zadarius was a career backup in Baltimore. The fact that Brian Gutekunst gave him that money, gave him that contract, and just off of almost blind faith, not really blind faith, because he had good reps when he was in the game in Baltimore, and he just went off of that, and it's it's paid off for sure. And even going to guys like Rashawn Gary or Darnell Savage, Savage who went to a small school but and was a projected early second rounder for most of the draft process. And he trades up to get Darnell Savage because he just trusts his instinct. He knows he knows what he sees. He sees a, a future All-Pro, which uh, I'm sure that's what he's hoping for. And same with Rashawn Gary. Rashawn Gary didn't put up big numbers at Michigan. Uh, that was the biggest question mark for him was his production. Where's his production? He's such a freak athlete, but where's the production? Brian Gutekunst is counting on these players to become to enter their primes in Green Bay, not sign players in the middle of their prime. Uh, and that goes for the draft for the players he drafts as well. He's not looking for players who put up these huge huge highlights and huge numbers in college. He's looking for athleticism. He's looking for traits he likes that he thinks can develop into future NFL stars, which, I mean, if that's his if that's his game, then he's a master at it, it seems like. and uh, yeah, i guess I guess that's it for news. <laughs> um. Let's dive into the Seahawks game from last week. Packers win 28 to 23, and a great game from the Packers on offense and defense for the most part. Uh, Braun, any general thoughts on the on the win last week?
1: Well, just overall, I thought we executed exactly what we wanted to do on offense. Uh, you know, the passing game. Aaron Rodgers really threw the ball well. Uh, Aaron Jones ran the ball well. Uh, we had some, you know, guys step up when we needed them, and we'll get to that later. But uh, just overall, I thought Matt LaFleur had an excellent game plan and we executed to, you know, executed to a T. And on defense, we did our job uh, for the first half. We, we let our offense get a big lead and then we were able to contain them and, and end up winning the game. So uh, that's about as much as you can ask for. And, uh, you know, I guess a great team, great quarterback, uh, just a great win overall.
0: Yeah, I'm with you there. I think we finally saw the stars of this Packers offense all play at a high level in the same game. Uh, not that that happened, not that that hasn't happened before this season, but I think this was the highest peak they've all hit at the same time. Aaron Rodgers, Matt Lafleur, Devonte Adams, and Aaron Jones. Matt Lafleur called the game of his career, which has only been 14 games, but wow, he was dealing on Sunday. Some of those, some of those play calls and play designs were just phenomenal from him. And Aaron Rodgers was dialed in. He was so poised and locked into the game so efficient on third down, especially uh, that was one of the best games I've seen from him in a while as he enters this kind of late stage of his career. Um, and then Devonte Adams had 160 yards, which is a Packers postseason record. Uh, Aaron Jones, I don't actually, I don't think he had a great day on the ground, but I mean, if you watch the game, you know that he was a key piece in our offensive production. So I think, I think that was really important. Finally get getting these guys to play, at a high level at the same time. And I think that has a lot to do with what Roger said last week, which was that, uh, they're not going to try as much new stuff with the offense. They're kind of, they're just going to focus on the things they do well, the things they know they do well, and just kind of work with what they have and what, what they all succeed with. And I, that's very promising for this game and maybe two weeks after that. Um, that this Packers offense, maybe they were so slow those last six weeks because they were trying too much stuff that they just weren't on the same page with, which is what it looked like for sure. And if when you compare that to last week's offensive performance, it was just, everything was so in sync and you have to attribute that to the fact that they're only doing things that they know everyone in that huddle is super confident in.
1: Yeah, and a difference from... What we've seen from this Packers offense all year long is is the third down efficiency. I mean, they went nine of fourteen, and and that's that's unbelievable, really, against a team that is you know is really has talented players all across that defense. So that's just that was a that was a big reason why the Packers were able to get out with the win. And some of those third downs were in key key points in the game in the fourth quarter. You know, it, it was just just a really great job, obviously, uh, after struggling on third down. And I think that has a lot to do with how Matt LaFleur really dialed up some plays that he knew had a chance to work. And then, you know, we've heard about it all week, about how Aaron Rodgers, uh, you know, sent out an audible to get Devontae Adams on a different route. Uh, And he saw an advantage, and and he took it, and it worked on third down. And and it was a big play. So just a a really great job by that offense, by Aaron Rodgers, you know, by his receivers, Jimmy Graham, Devontae Adams. Uh, We we were able to do a great job on third down, and, and that was really one of the keys to the victory. Third and
0: long, especially. Third and long, this Packers offense has been terrible all season. Uh, l- among the league's worst in third and long percentages. Third down in general was bad, but third and long especially. And in this game, they uh, they were 6-for-9 on third and six or more yards, which is a 66% conversion rate. Uh, during the season, it was 22%, so that is certainly improvement.
1: Yeah, and you talk about improvement. You know, we went 1 of 10. Uh, against the San Francisco 49ers. And and we've been inching up and getting better ever since that game, really in all facets of of our football team. But I think third down, we've been getting a little bit better each and every week. And and the Seattle game was uh, kind of a product of what we've been working towards.
0: Rodgers specifically was nine of 11, 121 yards, a touchdown with a 155.8 rating on third down, which that's just prime Aaron Rodgers. That is Aaron Rodgers locked in knowing he has to move the sticks and he was throwing seeds all night long on Sunday, especially on third down. And he he's, he was just so hyper efficient. It was something we hadn't seen from him. In a long time this season, since that Raiders game, probably, where he looked so so focused, he looked like he knew what he was doing on every single play. There were no question marks. He knew where to go with the football. and he put it right on the money almost every single time. I don't think he had a single throw that made made you scratch your head or
1: anything, yeah, and that was playoff Aaron Rodgers. He is ready, you know, this is this is what he does. This is when you know, when the lights shine the brightest, he comes to play and and you know that he's going to be ready for whatever comes his way. and and I think this, this game coming up is going to be another example of that. But, you know, he just and, – and here's another example of how good he played. You know, PFF, pro football focus, graded Aaron Rodgers a 92.8, and that was the best he's had since Super Bowl XLV. That's the best grade he's had in any game since that Super Bowl win 10 years ago. So that just tells you how great he played. And, and he really is locked in right now. He's, he's finding his guys in rhythm you know according to the plan executing it well and and we're gonna have to continue to do that this sunday
0: yeah and he's said it a million times this season he's not he's not that guy anymore where he has to be like he's not russell wilson we saw in russell wilson what we used to see in aaron Rodgers. he doesn't have to put the team on his back he can just play within an offense take what the defense give him gives him take what matt lafleur gives him And he's still going to win games. He's still going to get the highest graded game by pro football focus since the Super Bowl. He's still an assassin from the pocket. He doesn't have to try and do too much. And Devontae Adams said that this week, that that's the worst thing he can do in the playoffs is try and do too much. And maybe that's what we were seeing from Aaron late in the season. He kind of did revert back to some of his old tendencies, and those just all went away on Sunday. And it was really great great to see Aaron Rodgers do what he knows he can do and take what the offense gives him and just make the job easy on himself and rely on other players in the offense
1: yeah I really think the bye week might have you know done Aaron Rodgers some good in that aspect of getting back to what he does best and he talked about the importance of self-scouting that week and and how that was going to help him you know kind of reflect on the regular season and and just get back to what he does best look and see the things that he did well and the things that he didn't do well this season and just kind of put it together and and he really did that and, and that showed uh, you know, against the Seahawks, and, you know, we talk about one of the matchups that we saw in that game being that middle-of-the-field battle, Aaron Rodgers versus uh, those those linebackers, Bobby Wagner, K.J. Wright, and, uh, you know, it was pretty clear who won that battle by the end of the game, and it was Aaron Rodgers, and it was also, you know, Devontae Adams in the slot and Jimmy Graham in the slot, in line, you know, coming out and making big third down catches, and Devontae Adams catching balls all over the middle of the field, so, uh, it was it was pretty paramount of uh, the Packers to be able to win that battle, which was maybe the toughest one to win. And uh, you know we got the job done in that aspect. And you got to give credit to Aaron Rodgers and that whole offense. Devontae Adams just he put up record-setting numbers, 160 yards on eight catches. That's special numbers. He averaged 20 yards a catch. Uh, he had some great routes, some of his best of the season. Uh, and and Aaron Rodgers talked about it uh, this week. He talked about how special that connection is becoming between him and Adams. Uh, similar to what he had with Jordy Nelson, Uh, that, that timeless, you know, just the perfect, they know what's going into, they know what's going on in each other's heads uh, at all times. And they're developing that after all these years. And, and that's really, that's special, especially at a time now uh, where we need that more than ever against the great uh, 49ers defense. So uh, you talk about record setting game for Devontae Adams, huge playoff numbers, in a game that we needed to win, that just that tells you so much about the character of this team and specifically Adams, uh, just you know to shine brightest in the moments that we need him to most. Uh, and now we're moving on, and you know you can't say enough about the leadership in that locker room. Uh, just you can't say enough about the character of the football team, and I'm excited.
0: He also had two touchdowns on two beautiful routes, two like top twenty Devontae Adams routes in his career. Uh, He has a lot of them, for sure, but those were amazing, and both of them came off of great play designs from Matt LaFleur, and just to touch on Matt LaFleur, those were two beautiful play designs from him, and the first one, the first touchdown from Adams was a great, great tendency breaker. He and Geronimo both act like they're running a slant flat, which is something we ran a ton in 2019, and as they're going out their breaks, Geronimo breaks inside rather than outside, and... Adams breaks outside instead of inside, and he's wide open for the touchdown. And that is a great route from Adams, but probably an even better play design from Aliflor. Uh And that's something that excites you. That's something that gets you pumped, knowing that we have a head coach who's getting creative, who's breaking his own tendencies, who sees something specific in a defense, sees something specific in himself. You talk about the self-scouting over the bye week, sees something specific he does as a head coach, as a play designer and completely flips it on his head and it goes for a 30 yard touchdown whatever it was and that was just amazing from him and it it really gets you excited about this week thinking about what is he what is he what is he going to look at from that first meeting where nothing went right absolutely nothing went right on the offensive side of the ball especially i'm very excited to see his game plan going into this week and
1: i mean you talk about Devonte moving around and and that's really been the prerogative ever since he's come back from that injury and Uh, Just really since that San Francisco game, uh, we've really started to move him around, and that's really been the key. Uh, He's had the most success throughout his career when he's moving around, you know, and just getting a lot of opportunities and and getting advantageous matchups. And it starts with, you know, getting him away from their number one corner and just letting him go to work on guys who aren't even close to his level. Uh, and And he does a great job at that, Matt LaFleur especially. I mean, to be able to put guys in positions to succeed like that, uh, that's just a a testament to how great of a head coach he is. But, uh, you know, we're going to have trouble doing that against, you know, a team like the 49ers who may decide that they want to travel uh, Richard Sherman with Adams. Uh, Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers both talked about how they anticipate uh, that they won't be doing that, but uh, they do have a game plan uh, in their back pocket uh, for if they do uh, end up making Richard Sherman kind of stick with Adams. So that's going to be an interesting uh, thing looking ahead. But uh, in terms of what they did against the Seahawks, you saw more of the same. You had Adams going up against rookies, uh, just backups, and, and Trey Flowers, he had taken advantage of all game. There was nobody that was going to be able to guard him, and they still were able to move him around and let him take advantage. And uh, you saw him making catches on the outside, in the middle of the field, everywhere, all around the field. So it's just, you know, that's just exciting because he's a true playmaker. Uh, just like Aaron Jones is, we move him around everywhere in the same way. So just to have guys like that that are so versatile and just can do anything for us and just become a matchup nightmare, it's just its incredible.
0: And having a player like that who's basically just a chess piece essentially has to be so exciting for a coach like Matt LaFleur who loves getting in to his own tendencies and breaking them, like I said. That has to be so fun for him, and he has to be really looking forward to this week, thinking about all the potential things he can do with Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, too, because they were getting really experimental with him last week, and it it definitely worked out. So let's hope we see more of that in the game or games to come.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, our offense just played so great as a collective group. Uh, Guys like Geronimo Allison, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, you know, they each had a catch or two around, you know, when we needed them. Uh, Tyler Irvin obviously came in, made plays. You know, we just got we got the job done. And, you know, th- it was just a great effort by the offense to come out to a big lead at halftime and just make sure we got the win. So, uh, But the defense played a great part in, you know, letting us get that huge lead. Guys like Blake Martinez, Jair Alexander, Adrian Amos, Tremond Williams all had, you know, impact plays in the game. And, and it just helped us pad a lead and, and kind of send us into a, a point where, we could just do our thing in the second half, and and even as the Seahawks tried to mount a comeback, we were able to stop it and and end up winning the game.
0: Yeah, I thought the defense played really strong. I mean, you look at the second half, and a lot of people a lot of people are saying that the Packers defense fell apart and we almost lost the game, but almost only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, as they say. And I think the Packers defense really was resilient in the second half. Russell Wilson is. Maybe the best quarterback in the league, if not the best, he's the second best. He is going to, he's not going to quit in the middle. He's not going to quit at halftime. We knew he was going to come back. He was going to do something extraordinary that no other quarterback can do. And that's exactly what he did because he's Russell Wilson. He put the team on his back and mounted a comeback. The Packers defense did all that they can do. They were gassed. They were winded. And that's what happens when you're playing against quarterbacks like Russell Wilson who can escape the pocket at any t- time, who's a threat to throw the ball no matter where he is in the backfield. With those receivers like Tyler Lockett and D.K. Metcalf, who are so dangerous down the field. The Packers held Russell Wilson a 2 of 5 on uh, throws 20-plus yards downfield on Sunday, which is just phenomenal, especially when you think about it being Russell Wilson, who came into the game tied for first in the league for most completions 20-plus yards downfield. I think the defense really played well all game, especially in the first half. Holding them to three points is just incredible, but we knew that they were going to come back, and that's all because of Russell Wilson. I, I cannot put that second half on the Packers' defense.
1: No, you can't, and it's just because, you know, that's a great quarterback. you got to give them a lot of credit. Uh, they've, they've got great coaching staff, and, you know, they came out with a good plan at halftime to kind of, you know, try to mount a comeback, and, and they did, and, and it got close there at the end, but like we talked about on offense, we were able to convert and, and do the things we had to do to get the win. Uh, and defense we you know obviously they had that chance to come down and and you know get get within scoring distance and get a shot to win the game there but Preston Smith came up with a huge sack you know and uh, and then made it fourth down and and we were we were just able to you know ice the game at that point point. and uh, that that's a big part of what we had to do we come up as a defense this is really our prerogative all year long all year long our defense this has been the prerogative it's it's been a bend but don't break defense and, you know, we did not, we barely bent at all in the first half, and then in the, in the second half, the the comeback began, and, and we began to bend and bend a little bit more, and then it came time where we had to come and make a stop, and we did, and then we were able to win the game, so that's just, that that really attributes to how, how we can win the football game, and we just have many ways to win, both on offense and defense, and, and we're starting to really put things together here, you know, just an impressive first year from the Packers, and just playing complimentary football right now, and we've got to continue to do that as we head into the NFC Championship game.
0: Yeah, I think that's that's a perfect way to put it. That's what this defense is. They're not really going to wow anyone with their sti- statistical rankings, but they, they've proven that when they need to, they can come up clutch, whether that be by, via turnovers or forced punts or turnover on downs. that uh, That Preston Smith sack being a perfect example. The Seattle offense had been rolling through us the entire second half and then when we really need someone to make a play someone make a huge stop Preston Smith comes up and that's exactly what we're relying on this defense to do to bend but don't break and they did a lot of bending in the second half this week which a little too close for comfort but they came up clutch when we needed them to
1: Dan, yeah, you talk about you know our defense coming up clutch and and performing in big situations well uh, this playoff game, right, we go and get a touchdown on the first drive and then our defense comes out on the first play and seemingly, you know, Jair punches the ball out and we've got the ball back. Uh, obviously, that was overturned. And, that, you know, you thought that could have been a big turning point in the game where if Seattle went down and scored right away, then it becomes an issue like, well, that was a, that's something that, you know, we had recovered. It looked to everybody. And then Chandler Sullivan gave the referee the ball after the play. It looked like he had made a clear recovery. Uh, but obviously they they weren't able to overturn that call and uh, we we were still able to overcome that which was impressive by just you know we attribute everything to the coaching staff and and everybody involved and that just again it just shows how great this character of this team is to be able to overcome something like that uh, you know a call that doesn't go our way that would have put us in a great position to take an even bigger lead uh, but still we were able to come out with the win in, in a big way and yeah, no, that's just, I thought one of the most impressive parts of the defense was to be able to rebound from something like that.
0: Yeah, and just to get into some big performances from the defense, Zadarius Smith is always at the top of this list because he is just incredible. He had only two sacks. <laughs> Not only, I guess, but it seemed like he should have had eight or nine sacks. He had 11 pressures on Sunday night, which was his third time this season having 10 or more pressures which is just incredible. The way he's able to produce wherever he is on the line, that's what separates him from other pass rushers in the league. He is able to get in the backfield no matter where he is. And Mike Pettin takes full advantage of that. And he has the past six, seven weeks. He's been unstoppable because of the way Mike Pettin is using him. And he is producing at an incredibly high level. And I, he, I don't think I remember a Packers defender being this unstoppable like Zedarius Smith is. I wish he could convert. I wish he could convert more of these pressures into sacks, because then he'd start getting the name recognition. Because he's just a beast, one of the best players in the NFL. Full stop. It's a shame he didn't make the All Pro or the Pro Bowl.
1: Well, you talk about a guy like him. He's got the he's got the size of a nose tackle. He's got the power of a defensive end. And he's got the quickness and speed around the edge of an outside linebacker. And to throw those all together into one human, one giant force like him, uh, it just makes him so valuable. And Mike Pettin utilizes him in in really a perfect way uh, to be able to put him all over the line. It's kind of similar to what we talk about with Devontae Adams and Aaron Jones. It it confuses the defense. You know, know, it's like uh, they don't know where he's coming from on any given play. So all of a sudden, Uh, you know, it changes the protection. They have to make a move to account for this guy. And not to mention, there's a guy on the other side or a guy who – he's a similar player who can move around. He doesn't do it as much. But, you know, there's a guy that could be on the other side in Preston Smith that, you know, can obliterate you as well. And not to mention Kenny Clark is right there as well. This We have so many guys that are just going to come after you in different spots. And Mike Pettin does a great job of that, personnel department in there. You know, able to get guys on the field, different packages of players. Uh, It's just it's it's really impressive. And and that's one of the reasons we get so much pressure is because it's so hard to predict what we're going to do each and every week and who we're going to have out there Uh, because each guy is different. They're able to get to the quarterback in many different ways. So uh, that obviously helps. Uh, But when we have when we're facing a quarterback like Russell Wilson, you know, we got to him so many times. Uh, But the difference between a guy like him and other quarterbacks is he's so versatile outside the pocket that it's hard to wrap him up. Uh, But a guy like Jimmy Garoppolo, who we're going to be talking about in a little bit, he's not going to be as mobile. And hopefully we're going to be able to complete some of those sacks that we kind of left on the field uh, against the Seahawks.
0: Yeah, I think of it as Preston Smith being your more traditional 3-4 outside linebacker. Uh, He's athletic. He's a great pass rusher. He's been a great pass rusher all season, but Z'Darrius Smith is just a He's just a football player. He can do anything you ask of him. And he he's now the the guy teams are game planning for. He's the guy teams are trying to take away. And that opens up opportunities for guys like Kenny Clark, guys like Dean Lowry and Preston Smith, giving them more one-on-one opportunities. And Kenny Clark especially has just been insane the past 10 weeks. He's averaging uh, like .88 sacks per game, which is tied for first in the league with Aaron Donald. and He's only... He's second in the NFL in quarterback pressures from an interior defensive lineman, only second to Aaron Donald. He's really been coming on lately, and that's what we expected from him going into his third season. We thought he'd tr- finally make that jump to one of the undeniable elite players in the in the NFL. and he's finally becoming at the past ten weeks, and we're we're he had another great game on Sunday against Seattle and we can only hope we see more of that this week.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're gonna have to bring some, some pretty, you know, diverse uh, pressure packages, uh, and not even just blitzes. But we're gonna have to bring some, some stuff that the Forty ers haven't seen from us yet on tape. Uh, we have to do some things different, uh, obviously, just to throw them off and, you know, do what we have to do against a team like, like the Forty ers who who beat us in a big way in our first matchup, but. Uh, Let's talk about, you know, just some of the secondary play uh, against the Seahawks. Uh, You saw Tyler Lockett go off for 136 yards on, I think it was nine catches. Uh, We kind of held uh, DK Metcalf back a little bit after he went for 160 yards the week prior. Uh, So, I don't know. I just, I thought Kevin King uh, didn't have a great game. He played good, you know, in the run game, stopping short passes, things like that. But uh, he did get beat a few times. And Jair Alexander had a bit better of a game. Uh, He made some more plays. He was dynamic, uh, but still, we've got to get a little bit more consistency from those two when it comes down to the playoffs, and I expect that from both of them, and I think we will get it. Uh, Tremont Williams did a good job in the slot, you know, fulfilling his role. Shannon Sullivan played well, Uh, and, you know, don't get me wrong. Kevin King and Alexander both, uh, they played at a high level, but uh, we just have higher expectations for those guys because we expect them to lock down whoever we put in front of them, you know? Uh, and then obviously Adrian Amos and Darnell Savage both had excellent games, and Ibrahim Campbell uh, as well played well. So uh, I thought the secondary did a good enough job to really contain their passing game. What what the what the majority of their offense was was Seattle uh, giving Russell Wilson the opportunity to run the ball more in the second half. That's what opened up a lot of the stuff that they were doing. But overall, I thought we can, we really contained their passing game. Uh, and really their run game as well. And that was kind of what afforded us the victory.
0: The thing with the secondary is we came into this game knowing that our biggest weakness on defense was explosive plays. We allowed way too many explosive plays, the most in the league. And we knew Seattle was an offense that heavily relied on explosive plays. So that was something that worried me going into the game, thinking about how ugly that could get with Russell Wilson running around and DK Metcalf breaking wide open down the field, or Tyler Lockett, uh, the same thing. And the Packers did not allow that to happen all night, and that's just incredible, especially coming from that group who's done it so many times to such worse competition. Uh, I thought they, the whole secondary really played well, and uh, communication comes a lot into that, and I think they've improved on the communication among the secondary that's really what you need to see from a playoff team, a 13-3 team going against a offense in Seattle's. You can't allow anything more than what they allowed. And yeah, that secondary really had a really strong game. And we're hoping to see more of that from the defense this Sunday in the NFC Championship game. And uh, we're going to get into that now. We're going to preview this upcoming game against the San Francisco 49ers in a playoff rematch from... Earlier this season, Week Twelve, the Packers got routed by a score of thirty-seven to eight. The Packers were not able to put anything together. I'm sure you remember that game, but we're hoping things go differently, and I think they will go much differently this time around. Uh, Braun, do you have any general thoughts on this upcoming game?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, you look at the two best teams in the NFC here. This is this is the game uh, that's going to decide who the best team in the NFC is. I really think the two best teams in the NFC got into this NFC championship game, Uh, so we're going to see what happens here. I really think, uh, you know, the best team in the NFC is going to go on to face uh, the Chiefs or the Titans, and we're going to have to see who that is, and uh, it's going to be a great matchup, a rematch. Packers are looking to avenge that loss, and, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that we could talk about from that last game that went wrong, but... Uh, really, it's about making those corrections and making it right, and uh, I think this bye week is, has helped us in that in that aspect to kind of correct ourselves, and also this week that we've had here uh, is going to help correct some of the things we did in that game, so uh, you know, we're going to have to make a lot of changes and do a lot of things differently, but I, I have a good feeling that this game's going to end differently than the last one did.
0: Well, it certainly won't be a 29-point difference, I don't think. Uh, this Packers team, is. there's no way they're going to come out as flat as they did week 12. We know that they are on top of their A game (laughs) right now. They are dialed in. The whole team is so dialed in. And they know they're the underdogs. they're seven and a half point underdogs, and they know that. they've known all season that no one, no one expects them to go to the Super Bowl. no one expects them to be here right now. No one expected them to win the NFC North. and that's what's been fueling them. the chip on their shoulder of knowing that no one believes in them. And I think that's really gonna help this week. I think they're gonna I think the bye week helped a lot in the game plan for this game. I'm sure they went back and looked at that. Awful performance, their worst performance of the year on offense and probably defense as well. And they have to, they have to fix those things up. And I, I you have to count on them. You have to expect that they did. Uh, just, just going by how optimistic the team sounds, I, it gets me really excited.
1: Yeah, there's a buzz really around the entire Packers offense. Really, yeah, I think they're just really confident in the game plan. They, they all seem excited about what Matt Lafleur has brought to the table. And, uh, you know, especially Devontae Adams, I I think he's pretty excited about what they have planned for him specifically uh, to be able to move him around really more than ever uh, and try to get him away from Richard Sherman. I'm sure that excites him. Uh, I think they really – I don't think they would mind having him uh, just kind of get followed by Richard Sherman. I I think they have no problem, you know, having him come and try to attack him everywhere he goes. Uh, That way that – that's going to open things up for other guys as well. And and that's where we have to have guys that haven't stepped up really come and step up here. Uh, So there's a lot of elements to what we're going to have to do to win the game. And one of the things I look at from the beginning of last game, we started out hot, we got a couple first downs, and then that penalty set us back, and we weren't able to convert. Obviously, we had that turnover, uh, and then that obviously put the uh, San Francisco 49ers in a great position that came out scored right away. And then that kinda had the game derailed very early and we just couldn't get anything going from that point on. But I think the fact that we were able to move on them early on, we got a first down, like I said. Things were looking good. Devontae Adams looked like he might have one of those games because we were gonna move him around, do the things we wanted to do, get Aaron Jones the football, come out to an early lead, and you know, then play our brand of football. But we just that turnover cost us badly. Uh, but the key for us is to avoid those turnovers, especially you know, in in the points where we have to come out and get a score uh, early in the game. We can't let the Niners get ahead of us because then we lose our balance. We lose our you know our two dimensional uh, style of offense where we're going to be able to keep that run pass balance, uh, which Matt Lafleur really likes to do to keep them not only guessing but uh, to keep us just uh, at a complementary level. And I think that. We're gonna to have to do some things differently to avoid those turnovers, like getting Aaron Rodgers a clean pocket. Uh, you know, having Jamal Williams in the game possibly a little more with some two-back sets, I think would be beneficial to not only uh, Aaron Rodgers in the pass protection, but to Aaron Jones in the in the passing game. Uh, so those are just things I want I want to see. Like I I think that's something that Matt Lafleur might have you know come up with here, uh, have, doing more of those two-back sets that we really haven't done as much. Uh, Since maybe that Eagles game is where uh, we saw it early on, but uh, Jamal Williams ended up getting hurt in that game and wasn't able to finish. But we were seeing some things early in the season with him and Aaron Jones. Uh, So I think that's something we could see. He's been kind of he hasn't been too involved in the game plan uh, recently. So I think if we kind of bring him back into the fold and get him involved in a big way, uh, not only, you know, pass protection, getting the football, you know, in his hands out of the backfield. I think we can kind of do something that would kind of catch them off guard and and just allow for an, a smoother offensive just game overall.
0: Well, I think, a, I think Tyler Irvin has a lot to do with that. I think Matt LaFleur can get more creative with Tyler Irvin. He's got a wider skill set, and we've seen that since he joined the team. He's been used in a multitude of different ways on offense and in the punt return game, of course. But uh, as for this game the The turnovers are definitely something that cannot happen we cannot just that it, you take out the minnesota game and turnovers kill this team it just sucks the air out of the whole team it feels like i mean the minnesota game was incredible those three turnovers and we were still able to win that game convincingly but for the most part turnovers have killed this team all year and they're riding such a, con- a high confidence level right now. They they know they're the underdogs. R- Rodgers and Devontae Adams talked about it, how all the pressure is on the 49ers. No one expects the Packers to win. They're playing with house money. So all the pressure is on the 49ers. And they've got the chip on their shoulder. They're so confident in themselves. as Turnovers could just wreck that entire thing, especially something like we saw in Week 12 where Rodgers – fumbled and basically gave the 49ers a touchdown from the inside the five. I'm pretty sure. So if we can just avoid those at all costs, uh, obviously that obviously that's ideal. No football team wants turnovers, but especially for this team, I feel like I feel like we can go into this game with the confidence we have coming off of that win last week, knowing that the whole world, no one believes in you. I think that's what the team really needs for a game like this going against this, such a good team We're not the better team on paper, but if we come in with a better mental mindset, I guess, and avoid stepping on our own toes, then that's what would really put us ahead of the 49ers, I think.
1: Well, I think as a team, we really live and die by getting turnovers and and not turning the ball over, maybe more than anybody uh, in the NFL. I mean, having Aaron Rodgers, a guy who only threw four interceptions this year, uh, You know, we don't put the ball on the ground very much in the running game. And we we get turnovers, we get interceptions, we force fumbles. Uh, and that really changes the game. It flips the field for us. And we, that's when we take advantage best, uh, when we get those turnovers and when we keep the ball in our hands. So it's going to be important. We have to win the turnover battle. That's something we didn't do against the 49ers. And if you reverse that, where we get those turnovers and don't give the ball up in that game, you, we don't know how that could have gone. We could have scored right away. And then all of a sudden it's a shootout and we don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, turnovers really change the game because it not only, you know, it not only gets your offense off the field, but it puts the defense in a bad spot. So we're going to have to do something to make sure that we play conservative enough where we keep the ball in our hands while still trying to, you know, do our thing and get our offense executed at a high level. And that's going to be the challenge for Matt LaFleur. It's going to be the challenge for Nathaniel Hackett. And it's going to be the challenge for Mike Patton to get those turnovers. So, I don't know. It's just you have to look at where we're going to try to produce them and and in what way, but uh, I'm just I think that might be the most paramount thing for us uh, heading into Sunday.
0: And that all comes back to the fact that we're not trying anything new anymore. This isn't a new offense to anyone anymore. They're only doing things that everyone is very comfortable with and very good at doing, very good at executing. So, I think fewer turnovers will be the result of that. Uh, less mistakes by the receivers or Aaron Rodgers or the pass protection, whatever it may be, if you get this whole offense doing things that they're comfortable with, then obviously that margin for error is going to decrease.
1: Yeah, and as we look back on that Week 12 loss, uh, there's a lot of things we're trying to point to as possible turning points for this game uh, in the NFC Championship that could kind of uh, you know, put the game in our favor and, and flip it the other way. And one of the things I think is most important that we're going to get here is, is Brian Bulaga, uh, back in the fold after playing just nine, sna- nine snaps in that game. Uh, and not only that, Alex Slate ended up playing against Nick Bosa for the rest of the game. So uh, that tells you kind of what we had to deal with there. Uh, but, uh, now we've even got Jason Valdir. Like we said, he came in and played excellently, uh, you know, spelling Brian Bulaga with the illness and, uh, to have him back in the fold is going to be great, Brian, and to have Jared behind him is is going to be important as well. So, uh, to we have to stop those pass rushers, Eric Armstead and Nick Bosa. Maybe, maybe the one of, one of the best duos uh, in the NFL. So, uh, that's really two strengths on that team, on both teams is is our pass rushers. We've got you know the interior just like they do, and and we've got two great exterior pass rushers as well. So, uh, that's going to be a good, interesting little. Uh, storyline going into the game
0: yeah Nick Bosa dominated that game in week 12 and you have to think Matt LaFleur is going to have some kind of plan for him I'm sure you can tell I'm really excited for to see this game plan because it's it's not going to be something vanilla it's not going to be something basic like we saw in the regular season this is Matt LaFleur knowing that he is one win away from the Super Bowl in his rookie season as a head coach, he is going to craft a masterpiece of a game plan. Uh, <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for, at least. And you got to think he's got a plan for Nick Bosa, because he—he, we cannot take five-step drops and let Nick Bosa work one-on-one with Brian Belaga. Brian Belaga has been amazing this season, but Nick Bosa is an amazing player as well. And he's going to win some of those battles, a lot of those battles probably, if we do attack him that way. So I'm definitely expecting to see a lot of a lot of bootlegs to kind of counter the pass rush. You got to keep those you got to keep the edge rushers honest. That's something Matt LaFleur has said in the past, something he preaches. You cannot just let them tee off on every snap. You have to fake the run. Use the play action game. Use the peeling off of the play action game on bootlegs and then That also affects their linebackers because we know their linebackers are very aggressive. They're very good, and they play the run very well, and that's because they are so aggressive. So if you can counter both of them and the pass rush at the same time, then that's something you know Matt LaFleur is going to want to take advantage of. And I think that's going to be what we're going to see a lot of this Sunday is a lot of bootlegs, a lot of play action, a lot of things to maneuver around Nick Bosa and make the offense work without him wrecking the entire game. Teams have done it this season. I mean, he hasn't been great in every game he's played this season. Teams have figured out how to stop him. And I think Matt LaFleur is going to lean off of a lot of those game plans to create his own game plan for this week.
1: Yeah, and I think something like I mentioned earlier, I think having Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones in at the same time, uh, you know, even just on shotgun dropbacks, I think, you know, that could be something that we could look at as, we could do the play action off that or we could do, you know, just or we could hand the ball off or, or we could just let those guys block for Aaron Rodgers and, and have two receivers out there and just let them go to work. So, like, that's something I could see where if they want to give Rodgers more time and maybe Adams in a one on one matchup, you know, I just think that kind of having the box filled is a possibility there and maybe getting those one-on-one matchups or, you know, the single high safety, maybe even zero coverage, which they rarely do on Rodgers. But uh, I, I think that could be something where it opens up a few different options and, and maybe kind of changes the defensive perspective for the 49ers against this Aaron rodgers led offense.
0: Yeah. I think, I think a lot of the game plan is going to be short passing. Like, as I said, to counter the pass rush. And cause that's what the offense does well for the most of the time, uh, short to intermediate passing routes, but, uh, I, When we play heavy personnel, I think that's when the deep shots are going to come, when we have like three tight ends in, like we did for the 40-yard Adams touchdown from last Sunday. We had three tight ends in the game, and uh, that was in the middle of the game. It looks like we're just milking the clock. We ran on first down, and then we go play action with that beautiful play design, and obviously it's a 40-yard touchdown, and I think that's going to be the, the MO this week as well. Run from a run from a light personnel into a light box, and then use the play action passing game from a heavy personnel if you get more tight ends or more running backs in the game. Danny Vitali, if he can play, I think we're going to see a lot of him this week as well.
1: Yeah, and you talked about the quick passing game being something that could be a huge factor for us. and and I just go back to thinking about how we lost that game and and we did have that one touchdown drive, but it really basically took up about ten minutes of the quarter. Uh, in that third quarter, and, uh, you know, we talked about how that was just a frustrating thing, how uh, we were just really milking the clock and for no reason, just slowing slow to get to the line of scrimmage, slow to get the playoff, and still getting the playoff with three, two, one on the play clock, and that was so aggravating. I could see Matt LaFleur coming up with something that really no team has seen all year long, and that's if we go a lot more no-huddle, and that could be, there's a lot of things that Matt LaFleur could have done over this bye week, that have, like, real merits to a, a change, something, like you said, tendency breakers. I think there's a lot of things that he hasn't even revealed yet that he could do, uh, like those two back sets. Now, like this no-huddle offense that we could bring to the table. I just think those are some things that we could do to throw the 49ers off and maybe even, you know, have them deviating from their game plan. And that's really what you want to do. You want You want to make a team go away from what they what they prepared all week for if we're able to do that that's a good way for the Packers to take advantage and try to win the game
0: it's a perfect time to do it against a team that dominated you that killed you for four entire quarters in the regular season it's a perfect time to really study that game look at what went wrong and see where you can improve and kind of maybe show like you're doing similar things from that week 12 game and break out of them like that slant flat touchdown to or the fake slant flat touchdown to at this week or the multitude of things he's done all season Matt LaFleur to break his own tendencies and if you just if if I imagine he just studied that game all week and is going to create his game plan going off of what went wrong in that game that gets me excited because I think Robert Sala is kind of going to be preparing for obviously not that exact offense from week 12, but he's going to be preparing for a similar offense because that was basic offensive pr- principles of Matt LaFleur. So if he can get fun, get weird with his play calls, get weird with his play designs, then that could spell success for the Packers offense, I think.
1: Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, what an underrated factor of that game was how Matt LaFleur was, I mean, he's he's really good buddies with a lot of the guys there. Obviously, his brother's there. He was the best man at Robert Sala's wedding. I mean, and we've talked ad nauseum about Kyle Shanahan and his relationship uh, with Sean McVay and that coaching tree. I just think, I think an underrated part of why we lost that game is because they really, they knew what he likes to do. They know his personality as a play caller. They worked with him. They've known him. they've, They've seen what he can do, and I think he went with what he knows at that time, and that was just how he calls plays, and And he didn't kind of take into account that those guys really know what he does football wise. So, if he's able to deviate from that, like we talked about, I think that would be interesting as well because now they're trying to come up with a game plan for something they've never seen at halftime. And, you know, that's where we come out to a lead. And now they're trying to scramble something together and and try to come back in the game. So, that's the importance of getting a lead, you know, doing what we want to do and making teams deviate from what they want to do. So, I just think if we're able to do things that he hasn't done uh, at least this season, uh, that would be very advantageous for us against a team that really knows what he does. And and in the same light, we know what they do as well. I mean, Kyle Shanahan and Matt LaFleur, best buddies, you know, and they should know what each other do, but it looked like those three guys they have over there, including his brother, it uh, seemed like they put together something that was able to neutralize everything he tried to do that week. So uh, it's going to be a challenge, but I, I'm confident in our ability to go out and do something like that. And, and this game is personal, and it's not just personal for Matt LaFleur. Uh, we've talked about it. It's personal for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, he, you know, he even said at the podium this week uh, how he had dreamed of playing in the Super Bowl with the 49ers. Uh, and he talked about how obviously that's not not the case anymore. Uh, but this is personal for him. He's never gotten that true revenge against the 49ers uh, for not picking him first overall. Yeah, and we remember what he said. How disappointed are you that you didn't get drafted number one by the 49ers? Not as disappointed that they would that they are that they didn't draft me. So, uh, I mean, this is the shot for Rodgers. I think he is just as motivated as anybody uh, to go out and you know really put the dagger in the heart of the 49ers once and for all. After after we've really struggled against them in, in many playoff situations, I think this is the time for him to get that revenge, send us to the Super Bowl and just really show the 49ers what they missed out on. And I think he's very motivated. He's always got that chip on his shoulder, and I think it's as big as ever this game, this Sunday, this matchup, and it's going to be a good one.
0: Yeah, you could argue it's personal for the entire roster, being embarrassed on Sunday Night Football live television, national television like that, like they were. I mean, they all have to have chips on their shoulders right now, and I think they all do. And I think that, like I said, that could be the difference in this game. We don't stack up with them on paper, but just the confidence, the chip on our shoulders, the underdogs that we are right now going into San Francisco against a team who has done everything this season, beaten some great teams, played some great football. They have to be really high on themselves. And uh, Emmanuel Sanders this week, when he saw the NFC NFC Championship trophy, he was like, oh, that'll be our soon. I mean, I think that just speaks to the whole the whole confidence of that entire locker room. And it's not a confidence like we have in ourselves, whereas I think we are more Yeah, we know we're good, but no one else thinks we're good. I think the 49ers know they're good and they know everyone thinks they're good. And I you kind of see that every year, don't you? Don't you isn't there always that one team that gets randomly hot that no one expected to get hot and then they lose in the playoffs? Uh, Carolina Panthers fifteen in one season comes to mind. Or uh, or the Bears last year, or the Jaguars in 2017, or even the Ravens this year. There there are these teams that get so much praise from the media, from the outside fans, that maybe it does go to their head. I mean, the evidence kind of points in that direction, and the Packers don't have to worry about that because no one believes in them, and I think that could really help them, especially with the identity that they have, the the locker room culture that they've built. Everyone has a chip on their shoulder. And I think they're going to come out ready to play on Sunday. And that's so exciting. <laughs> um, from, a, from a defensive perspective, we kind of just went over the offense. Uh, from a defense per- defensive perspective, how do you think we could stop the 49ers' um, excellent offense?
1: Well, I mean, you look at what they do best, and that's run the football. But uh, maybe their best weapon overall is George Kittle, that tight end, that physical blocking, receiving tight end. He does it all. Uh, He does it all at a high level, maybe the highest level, and uh, he's going to be a tough matchup. But I I said it before, the guy that I think that can at least help contain this guy, George Kittle, is Raven Green. If we get him back, we can do something similar to what we did with Ibrahim Campbell. We kind of put him in right into the lineup, and he played a significant amount of snaps right away. We're going to need to do that with Raven Green against George Kittle. I think he's the perfect matchup and the ideal matchup for us. Overall, just looking at what he can do, he bulked up in a big way this offseason. And that was was very valuable to his ability to stop the run and cover the tight end. I think that really separated himself from some of the other safeties. And I just think he's – he really – it's hard to even call him a safety because he really is – he can play a linebacker now like he's got the bulk on him where he can stop the run and, and cover the tight end, uh, maybe better than some of the linebackers that we currently have. So uh, I just think that if he can go, he has a chance to really be a game changer for us on Sunday. And I just think that his versatility is going to be something that is going to be a key for us.
0: Yeah. George Kittle's the real guy you have to worry about, especially when he destroyed us week 12. Um, I think Mike Patton's going to have a plan for him. Similar to Matt LaFleur, I think Mike Patton is going to look a lot into what went wrong and work on fixing those errors. And George Kittle has to be at the top of that list because they didn't really go into that game having a plan for him, it seemed like, and he made made us pay for sure. So I think we could see a lot more chipping from the edge rushers, trying to um, offset him from his release, make him not as big as a threat stretching the field vertically and uh, trying to make Jimmy Garoppolo look more to his outside receivers who are also extremely talented, but not like George Kittle, where they can take over a game like he can.
1: They've got so many dynamic running backs. It's it's really, that's one of the going to be really one of the challenges that we have to uh, stop is, is their running game. They've got so many dynamic, versatile, different running backs that, that run the ball at a high level. And it, it's going to be so hard. I mean, Matt Breida, Raheem Mostert, Tevin Coleman, and they've got other guys, too. Those are just really their three primary guys. I mean, it's hard to even fathom how we're going to be able to stop that running game. Uh, We've got to play really strong up front, and really, we have to take a lead early. and That way, we have to force them to throw the football with Jimmy Garoppolo, get him under pressure, and, you know, let the defense do its job and get home and and make Jimmy Garoppolo make mistakes, and that's how we're going to win the game, basically. That's the formula. We have to get out to an early lead, avoid turnovers on offense, and, and really just let the defense go and, and run at them and make them throw the picks and make them fumble, and that's how we're going to win. It's, it's got to be a collective effort from everybody, and uh, I think it's going to be important to see what we can do with our cornerbacks against those receivers as well. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders, the late-season pickup that has done a, a nice job for them, And then they've got some other guys on the outside, but, you know, they haven't had anybody too spectacular uh, step up besides maybe Kendrick Bourne, who had an excellent game against the Minnesota Vikings. They've got a lot of great depth at a lot of different positions. They don't have any true stars besides Kittle, uh, but they do have the game plan, and they've got one of the best play callers out there, Kyle Shanahan, and a great scheme to go with it. So uh, there's going to be a lot of different challenges that we're going to face on defense, but If we do what we do best, I still think we could take advantage of some of their weaknesses, like that lack of star power. Uh, We're going to have guys that are going to be able to shut their number twos and threes down, and we're going to make them a little bit one-dimensional. I really feel like if we can do that, uh, we're going to have a good shot to win it.
0: Yeah, I think that's really well said. And I don't know if their success on the ground comes from their talented running backs, who are very talented, but... I mean, Kyle Shanahan is a genius. He's, he's a football genius. And there's that story from Ryan Grant last season where he said uh, in Washington under Kyle Shanahan, he spent more work in practice working on the run game and one practice than he did all week in Green Bay. And that just speaks to how committed Kyle Shanahan is to getting the run game going. So I can't imagine a scenario where we're able to completely shut the ground game down. I think they will have a lot of success on the ground. But the key comes with our offensive success, and making sure that they can't win the game by just running the ball down our throats. We have to make Jimmy Garoppolo throw the ball and take advantage of their lack of star players on the on the outside.
1: And another thing we have to take advantage of is the lack of inexperience at quarterback. I mean, Jimmy Garoppolo hasn't played in, in many playoff. I mean, that was his first playoff game against the Vikings. And, you know, he'll be at home again, but we have to make it an environment that he feels uncomfortable in. And that starts by making him uncomfortable in the pocket. And, and we're going to have to get to him a couple times. We're going to have to make it, you know, second and long, third and long, not manageable situations where we're able to get the ball back and kind of continue to do what we do on offense. I, I think we're really going to have a lot of success on offense. I, I just think we're going to, you know, at least on in terms of Matt LaFleur's game plan, I think it's going to be enough to get us Points where we're going to be at least in the game, if not, you know, with the lead, uh, at least at halftime. I think we're going to really be in this one uh, from the get-go, and I just I don't know, you know, what the challenge is is to be able to stop them on defense enough times where we come out with more points. and And that sounds trivial, but it's true. Uh, it's just going to be about who gets the turnovers, really. Because that's that's the game changer. That's where you can get two touchdowns in a row or, or just get a touchdown and a field goal and change the game completely and turn it on its head. Uh, so that's what that's what the difference is going to be. It, can you stop them on defense? That's the question for both teams. And and can you get the turnovers when you need the most? Uh, so those are kind of really the storylines heading into the game. And it's going to be interesting to see who can really execute and, and win those matchups.
0: Yeah, and I think those turnovers could come as a result of Jimmy Garoppolo uh, being inexperienced, as you said, and uh, really, really just shaky under pressure, especially from the interior. He's not good with interior pressure. It's most quarterbacks aren't, but he's he's a really solid, efficient quarterback with a clean pocket or even with outside pressure. But interior pressure, he kind of, he's, he's kind of like Kirk Cousins in that way where he, he doesn't really know what to do and he will make bad decisions. So I think that could be, uh, a real attacking point from Mike Penton lining Zedarius Smith up inside more often it uh, side note. They also have Joe Staley coming back at left tackle who did not play in the week 12 game. So maybe we, we will see a lot more Zedarius and Kenny Clark inside rather than uh, putting Zedarius outside for most uh, passing downs. Um, I also think Mike Penton might blitz a lot more with his linebackers this week. Raven green coming back. Maybe he uses him as a, a, a blitz piece. Blake Martinez is always great on the blitz. Always great pressuring and rushing a quarterback. And I think I think that's what we're going to have to do. Break our own tendencies on defense as well, because we are not a heavy blitz team. We rarely, rarely blitz, which is weird for Mike Pen. So maybe he can go back to what he knows, and that is uh, crafting creative blitzes, getting free rushers kind of like Matt LaFleur does with getting receivers open. Maybe Matt, Mike Pettin will commit to uh, getting free rushers to the quarterback, making Jimmy Garoppolo uneasy, making him have to eat sacks and throw balls away more often than he does. And when you get Jimmy Garoppolo uncomfortable, you're not going to see as many explosive plays as we gave up in week 12. And I kind of touched on that earlier, that we don't give up very many explosive plays as we used to, especially I was really talking about just last Sunday, but in general, the last six games, the explosive plays have for sure gone down, or at least they haven't had as big of an impact as they did early on in the season. And all that kind of all that kind of came to a head in the week twelve game. We gave up, I think two that I can remember, two uh, like forty plus yard touchdowns, one of them to George Kittle. Um, so I think that could be a huge turning point in this game as well, an area of improvement. We are much better at containing the long passing plays. Uh, the communication has improved, as I alluded to earlier. And actually, after that Week 12 game, uh, the entire defense had a players-only meeting where they just broke down the film, held everyone accountable. Everyone said, this is what I should have been doing. This is what I should have been doing. And it seems like that kind of brought them together as a group, made them more familiar with, what, with each other, really. Uh, we haven't seen any real miscommunication from this secondary, especially since that game, I don't think. So I think that could be huge. It should be huge because we gave up 14 points, at least, to those kinds of plays, those own, our own errors.
1: All right, so we've talked about the game. You know, Griffin, what is your final prediction?
0: I think this could be another heartbreaking playoff loss for Packers fans. That's what I'm expecting. Uh, it's going to be close. It's not going to be 21 points. I do think the Packers will cover the 7.5-point spread, as we have in— Every game we've ever been a touchdown underdog with Aaron Rodgers at quarterback, we've always covered those seven points because Aaron Rodgers knows when he's the underdog, he needs to play at his best. And he usually does. And I think we're going to see a really strong game from him, a really strong game from the offense. We're going to put up a better fight than anyone's, anyone is expecting. But I just, I just – I'm not ready to say that the Packers are going to win this thing. And I'm certainly hoping I'm wrong. But – I see the Niners winning it very narrowly
1: I'm gonna have to disagree with you I just uh, it, it's not where I thought we would win like last week uh, how I talked about just everything really came down to favoring us uh, this week there's a lot of different things that could favor the 49ers over the Packers but I just think if we play uh, continue to kind of play our best football each and every week I really think we can come out with a win here I just I, Something about the way this team is, I just don't see them losing. Uh, we talked about the character of the team. We talked about, you know, how personal this is for Matt Lafleur, for Aaron Rodgers, for Zadarius Smith, you know, for all these guys. This is a personal game, like you mentioned before. I just think so many factors lead to me lead me to believe uh, that we're not going to let this one slip away. We've done it so many times. This is a new team. This is a new start for us. I just think we're going to come out. We're going to, we know what we've done in the past. We've lost some of these games in the NFC Championship, heartbreaking losses to the Seahawks. You know, I just think this time we're going to get the job done. I guess we'll see on Sunday, right?
0: Yeah, I guess so. And that's going to do for the podcast. Uh, Thank you for listening once again. Uh, we, we should have Mason back next week where hopefully we'll be talking about a previewing the Super Bowl that hopefully the Packers will be playing in. Uh, you can find us on Spotify, YouTube, iTunes, wherever you listen to your podcast. You'll probably find us. Uh, me, Griffin, at All Day Packers on Instagram and Twitter, and Braun at Lambo Leapers on Instagram. Make sure to follow us. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're listening to it. And, yeah, thank you for listening. Go Pack Go.
1: Go Pack Go, baby.